Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. This happens to be show number 27. Today what we're going to be talking about is something called property management and we're going to be talking about a number of things involving property management. Again, keep in mind that this is a field that you may, for whatever reason, select to go into. You don't have to actually sell homes. As a, a, to, if you're a real estate agent or sell commercial property, you could be involved in managing rental properties, uh, uh, office buildings, shopping centers, things like that. So you could be in the property management business. So what we're going to be doing is over the next couple shows, show 27 and 28, is talking about this property management. And one of the things that becomes important when you do talk about property management is understanding some of the laws that are involved in it. Uh, for those of you, uh, which I'm sure there's a lot of you that are a lot younger than what I am and cannot remember periods of time in the 60s when we had a lot of uh, discrimination in housing, where a lot of people weren't allowed to live in certain specific areas or kind of shuffled off into different areas, you know, instead of, you know, sort of segregation, if you will. And so I remember that when it was in the 60s, there was a lot of laws that were passed to prevent that from happening. And so what becomes important is if you are involved in property management, you understand those laws and you understand how to handle things if somebody comes to your office and says, I would like only this type of a person to live in my neighborhood, or I only want to rent to this white people. I don't want to rent to black people. So you need to know that there's laws, and you need to know that when somebody asks you to do that, that you need to just kind of step away and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. So anyway, what we're going to be doing is talking about that first, the laws, and then after that we'll talk about the different types of property management jobs you may have. And then finally, I think near the end of the chapter, we start talking about some of the contracts that you would have people fill out. And I think most of the contracts in the chapter are predominantly aimed toward the area of residential housing. So that would be single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, apartment houses, things like that. So we'll talk about those forms, what those lease agreements or rental agreements look like in some detail, probably not this time, but the next time. So anyway, I'm going to kind of move over here to my old friendly document camera for a minute, and we'll talk a little bit about, uh, about this uh, information. I'm going to kind of put this up here a little bit so I can read it. And it says... Um, just to start out, it just says, before discussing your career in property management, keeping in mind that this might be an area that you want to work in, uh, it is extremely important to have a full understanding of the regulatory laws that govern the sensitive issues re relating to and less than freehold estates, which we call leasehold estates. If these laws are not closely adhered to, as the property manager and the owner may be liable to high punitive fines and costly legal procedures. So they kind of want to make sure that you understand that there are a lot of laws that you have to abide by. They also go on further than this, and they basically talk about California first pass, the Unruh Law, Civil Rights Act, no discrimination in business, including real estate agent services. So you can't discriminate in any services that you provide to anybody, no matter who it is. And then the Fair Employment Housing Act, no discrimination in housing. These uh, were later uh, reinforced by the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1968, and uh, which was expanded in 1988. Okay, so there's a lot of laws that you have to make sure that you follow if you're in the property management business. In fact, if you're in any kind of service real estate business, you really need to make sure you follow those laws. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to move over here and talk a little bit about what's in here. There's some topical areas that we need to uh, go over, and I need to give you an idea of what they are. Um, 
This gives you an idea here of some of the fair housing violations and possible remedies that you may have. And I'm going to kind of show this and then talk a little bit about it. And again, for those of you that are younger, you know, there are a lot of people in the past that have done an awful lot of things to make your life a lot easier. And so you may not be exposed to some of this like, like your fellow, like your father, your grandfather, and people prior to you. You know, they worked very hard and did a lot of uh, things to make sure that you have, you know, have a, a fair shot and a uh, place to live and everything is great for you now. But they, they paid a big price for a lot of that. So it's important that you have an understanding of that, what they've done and why we have the laws today. One of the first things that you, we would hear about in the past is something called redlining. And redlining says basically what it involved, and let me just tell you about what it involved and then I'll go back. Redlining meant that we basically had like a map, if you will, of a specific geographical area. It say, say it could be in certain parts of Sacramento. And in certain parts of Sacramento, what they would do is they'd take a red pen on a map and they'd put a line around the geographical boundaries of that area. And they would say if you were a lender, you would say don't lend money. Our policy is don't lend money in that area because that area happens to consist of a lot of minorities, people that uh, maybe, uh, and it's not that the minorities were not paying their bills because they're minorities. They were mainly not paying their bills because maybe they couldn't get a job. There were other issues that were causing things to happen. But they separated them out by drawing red lines around there. Uh, the same thing with insurance. There was discriminations against the fact of people actually having, being able to get insurance on whatever it was, their car, their house, or anything else in these specific geographical areas. So that's one thing that has been eliminated by the law. They say you as a lender cannot do that anymore. You as an insurance company cannot do that anymore. In fact, there's a lot of things that have been put into law now that in which if you're going to participate in the community and provide these services, you also have to report back to different government entities how you're servicing those communities. So it becomes very, very important. Again, over here on this um, paper, they say what you should do as an agent, you should just have a refusal, uh, refusal of a loan or insurance based upon property, location, and zip code. That's what rent lighting is. And if you do see that happen, you should say, no, I'm not going to participate in this. I don't need the headache. I don't need the, the frustration. If you're trying to, <clears throat> somebody wants you to rent their property, just say, go find somebody else, not me. I'm not going to do that. Okay. The second area that you'll see, another term that was utilized is something called steering. And I'll tell you what steering is. It says showing a client property in, in only one type of neighborhood, such as Caucasian buyer in a Caucasian neighborhood, and the refusal to communicate availability of housing in other neighborhoods. Um, this was done on a fairly regular basis. Uh, for those of you that maybe have watched, um, again, this is, you know, when you're older, you've watched a lot of the TV shows and you've seen how they've gone along. If you watched uh, All in the Family with Archie Bunker, uh, one of the big issues that that was a Caucasian neighborhood that they were living in, and the whole story about one of the things is that the Jeffersons moved in to t moved into the community and Archie got really upset about it. That was really talking, if you will, probably in the 60s and the 70s when that kind of activity, actually prior to that, but 60s, 70s, when that was going on. Again, if you're an agent, you cannot say because of this person's ethnic background that they have to live in this particular area. What you should do is just say to them, uh, you should be concerned about things like uh, how much can you afford to pay, <laughs> what your credit background is like you would anybody else, and you know, what do you need? Three-bedroom, four-bedroom house? Do you need two-car garage, three? And just show them the property that's available. Again, you don't want to participate in that, and you can't steer people in certain areas. Okay? Uh, 
The next thing is, is um, owner tells the agent not to show property to a minority, okay? If that happens, and you may say, well, I can't believe that that would happen, or how would that happen? You can just find out that maybe people have been living in a community for a long, long period of time. They've got roots. There's some people in this community that have been living in the same area for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And maybe, for example, when they get ready, maybe, maybe the kids inherit the house when the parents die, or the parents are moving out into some kind of a retirement home. And the people that own the house say, listen, don't sell that to anybody that's black. You know, we don't want to upset the neighborhood. You can't do that. You just flat can't do that. That's illegal. You have to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it, and just walk away from it, okay? Um, Again, contract refused by, uh, because of race, you can't do that, okay? Any kind of race restrictions are unenforceable. And believe it or not, if you go back and you take a look at a lot of the covenants, conditions, and restrictions that are in subdivisions that were recorded in the Sacramento area in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, okay? In other words, prior to this law, you're going to find out that there were race restrictions in those communities based on the covenants, conditions, and restrictions. They all became illegal. You can't do that, Okay? A couple things that I've seen happen, I saw this more or less because I grew up in New York, so I don't know how they did it around here at the time, but one of the things was something called two ways in which people try to profit by having minority people moving into the community. And they call it panic selling or blockbusting. And what it is is an age where an agent intentionally incites existing homeowners to sell their properties by saying that the property values will fall because persons of different race or religion have targeted to move into their neighborhood. Okay, and what it was is that age, you know, agents that would participate in this kind of stuff, you know, what they would do is they would try to make money by listing and selling those properties. And they would say, listen, if you don't, if you don't sell your property today, guess what? You know, the whole neighborhood is going to turn into where all the black people are going to move into the neighborhood. And you, better pa- you better sell now or you're going to be out of luck. And you can't do that. And I saw that happen in New York. Okay, I, again, I don't know how they did it out here, but you see it a lot in New York or you did at the time. Um, and uh, the last thing is uh, sale of property agent asked to discriminate. You just can't do that. So the concept is here that you as a real estate agent need to know that these are the rules, these are the laws, you cannot violate any of them. That's it. You, you just can't do it. Um, they go through with several different laws here and acts that you probably need to be familiar with just as you go through. Um, I'll read a couple of them so that you know. And then you should, be, uh, you should read and become familiar with these. It's very, very important. Some of these things will show up on things like real estate exams that you may take for the state. And having a good feeling for how the law works is really, really important. The first one was talking about the state law, the UNRU law, uh, Civil Rights Act, no discrimination in business. And it says here, California uh, first passed the Andrew Act, Civil Rights Act, that declares all persons within the jurisdiction of the state are free from equal, uh, free and equal, and no matter what their race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, they are entitled to full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, on and on and on, okay? What's important is, is that one of the things in, in California we're seeing in the United States, we happen to be one of the unique countries that's born out of everybody that's in this country primarily is an immigrant. We've all come. We can all trace our ancestry to some other place. I mean, I, I have background, came from Ireland, okay, Germany, England, that's my background. We have a lot of people, I think 25 or more percent of the population in California is Hispanic. 
Uh, we see a lot of people from a lot of different countries moving in with a lot of different religions, a lot of different uh, beliefs, and, we, uh, and that's what makes America great. It, what makes America great is the diversity. That's what makes it great, so we need to recognize that. Um, there's some other ones, acts that were passed. Here's another one that was passed. This is the state law, uh, California Fair Employment and Housing Act. Uh, and uh, this basically says, uh, this, and they give you an acronym here, it says FEHA f uh, clearly defines discrimination as the refusal to sell, rent, or lease housing accommodations, including misrepresentation. Misrepresentation basically means that somebody calls you on the phone and says something like, hey, you know what, I was looking in the Sacramento Bee, you know, this morning, and I saw that you have an apartment for rent and it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, could you get me some more information about it, some more specific information about it? My family's looking to move into the neighborhood. You know, my husband, you know, whatever the story is, we're looking like we want to move into the community. And what happens is, is that because maybe you can tell by their voice on the phone or maybe when they show up at the door and they're ready to, you know, rent, that you turn around and look at them and say, oh, I'm sorry, the apartment's gone. Okay, and has that ever happened? Yes. So you can't do that either, okay? Um, the other law that they have here that they talked about, just so you know, is this is the uh, State Law Housing Financial Discrimination Act of 1977. No redlining. This is the one that prevented the redlining, okay, to stop that redlining from going on, okay? Um, it just says the Housing Financial Discrimination Act prohibits financial institutions, which means financial, by the way, means financial. It means like banking, insurance lending, whatever that happens to be, financial institutions from engaging in discriminatory loan practices called redlining. All right? So you can't do that either. Okay? So, that, so we have state acts and we have federal acts, too, that we need to be aware of. Um, we do have a law that was passed, one of the laws that was passed in 1968 called the Federal, laws, uh, federal Civil Rights Act. Civil rights was a big thing during the 1960s. I would say probably uh, a lot of people, uh, we had a president in office, his name was Johnson during that period of time. Johnson, Johnson worked very, very hard with a lot of different people. Martin Luther King worked with a lot of different people to help people and prevent discrimination. There was a lot of work that was done in that area. The sad thing is, is that it's going to be years to come before Johnson will ever get his really due or due for what he really did and worked very hard at. He really took a lot of heat over the Vietnam War, uh, which is something that had been going on, and he just sort of inherited the thing, and it got kind of out of control. But basically what happened is, is during the 60s, there was just a lot of laws that were passed. There were a lot of riots during the 60s, a lot of race riots during the 60s, a lot of marches. All those things happened in the 60s, and all the laws happened in the 60s. So 60s was a pretty active uh, decade, if you will. And so anyway, this is the federal law that was passed, and it says uh, federal law prohibits discrimination on the part of owners of property and their agents based upon U.S. Supreme Court, and then it gives you the name of the court case, which was Jones versus Meyer, which upheld Civil Rights Act of 1866. So that's not a misprint. There was an act in 1866, remember, after the Civil War. Okay, so we're talking, so some people go, oh, wait a minute, it's not 18, it's 19. No, it's 18. And Title VIII of the Civil Rights Act of 1968. Okay, for all practical purposes, discrimination laws uh, evolve from U.S. Supreme Court cases of Jones versus Meyer, Title VIII 
of the Civil Rights Act of 1968 and the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. Okay? And uh, so, so anyway, underneath here they give you some things. They say the federal, law, uh, federal le level of fe uh, Federal Civil Rights Act of 1968 reinforced California's Underwood and Fair Rights Housing Act. And then it just goes down here and gives you some uh, things that it covers. Uh, any discrimination uh, that the two acts did not prohibit was specifically outlawed. Uh, it makes it illegal for real estate licensees to engage in discriminatory practices regardless of institutions the agent may have received from the seller or instructions they've received from the seller. So really, whatever the seller says, if you follow what the seller says, you're the one that's in trouble. Uh, or a landlord, if asked to discriminate in any sale of the property, the salesperson must refuse to accept the listing which also means whether it's for sale or if you're trying to uh, list the property for rent, if you will. Okay? Uh, it bars real estate boards or multiple listing services from discriminating by denying participating or restricting terms and conditions of membership. So you can't, you can't say uh, you have to be Caucasian to belong. Uh, you, in other words, everybody can belong, and everybody's property can go into the multiple listing system. Okay? It requires fair housing posters to be displayed at all real estate offices and subdivision model homes. And it says the poster in this figure must be also displayed at all financial institutions or by mortgage lenders who make uh, loans to the general public. And then this happens to be the poster they're talking about, which hopefully a lot of you have seen in the past. Okay. So that pretty much covers that, and you need to be thoroughly and totally familiar with this. And again, you may have to read the Acts. You may have to read. Sometimes it helps in understanding some of this to read some of the history, you know, to understand why we got from where we were to where we are today. So you can put some kind of faces on it, and you have some sort of an understanding of why it works. That's why history is very, very important, basically, so we don't do the same thing again, make a whole bunch of mistakes, okay? So this is what the uh, poster looks like. And it just tells people, you know, it covered all kinds of things, handicapped, you know, race discrimination, everything else. Okay? So, again, you can read that. What I'm going to move on to now is, because there's a lot in this chapter, is um, into something we just call property management. Uh, let me see if I can get this uh, kind of up here. Okay. Um, one of the things that they say in here, which is really true, I'll read this and I'll explain it. It says, few people possess the sufficient knowledge or skill and time to manage their own properties and therefore turn to property management specialists. Your, your reward for pursuing this specialty includes not only the additional revenue, but also a chance to meet your, and I think it goes on to the next page, uh, owners, um, I think was that the, uh, to meet your owner's complete real estate needs. Essentially, what they're doing is that they're looking at the property management. Again, a lot of these chapters are doing two things at one time. One, they're trying to explain to you what this concept is of property management. In other words, what it involves. The other thing that the real estate practice class is trying to do is to make you aware of the different portions or different types of professions that you can enter within the real estate business. That it's not just selling homes. It's a lot of other areas. Sometimes, if you're in a large metropolitan area like we are in Sacramento, you may find out that you can carve out a living 
by just doing property management, and that's it. In fact, you may even also specialize within that area. You may decide that you're only going to deal with maybe small properties like single-family or two-family homes. You may decide you're going to do just apartment houses. In other words, we have enough of that kind of property in Sacramento that you can tend to specialize. On the other hand, if you get out to some of these rural communities, you may find out you're going to have to be a jack of all trades. You're going to probably be uh, maybe sell homes, sell land. Uh, you may turn around and be selling mobile homes. You may be uh, maybe the insurance agent in town. You may be the property manager in town. You may sell businesses. You may sell office buildings. You may lease them out. So you may have a lot of activities. To me, the way I sort of think about this is it's kind of like the difference between working for a very large corporation in which you can work in one specific department with one limited type of a job versus if you're in your own business. If you're in your own business, your own small business, and it's you and one other person, you find out that you have to do everything. You know, if you're in a business like, uh, for example, uh, if you're in an auto repair business you, and, you know, it's you and maybe another mechanic, you may find out you're scheduling the appointments, you're ordering the parts, you're getting the parts, you're test driving the cars, you're doing everything. So again, depending upon how large your firm is, is how many of these activities you're basically going to do. It is not uncommon, though, in small communities to see that real estate, the person says that they're a real estate agent, will probably do a lot of different activities. And it's not uncommon to have them where they both sell insurance and real estate because the insurance tends to add stability to their income. Once that policy is placed and it starts bringing income and it renews every year, you have income that you're pretty sure that's going to keep coming in to get you past those real estate cycles that keep going up and down. So that's the concept behind it. What types of properties may you be managing? You, you know, the basic types are things like uh, you can do residential, office buildings, retail, industrial property. Um, you're also going to find out that here in Sacramento, we have some very, very large firms, Grubb and Ellis, uh, CB Ellis, two of the big ones, that will actually have departments where they have agents, and all those agents basically do will concentrate in a specific area. In other words, they may be are actually out there constantly and consistently helping people find uh, retail space. They may be a retail lease specialist, and they're just looking to go out, find lease space, and rent it out and lease it out for people or manage it. You may find out that somebody else may concentrate in warehousing or industrial space. Somebody else may concentrate in apartment houses. And most of these firms have fairly large property management arms that do this on a regular basis. Uh, you have different types of managers. Okay, um, I'm just going to show this and then I'm going to talk about it here on camera. It's just so that you know, um, you know, the the, the primary job of the manager, if you deal with property managers, their primary job, and it says it right here, the principal goal of any manager is to minimize expenses, maximize rents, and increase the long-term appreciation of the property. So let me tell you about a little bit about what this means. It means that if you're going to be a manager of that property, okay, let's say, for example, like an apartment house, and you're going to live on site. And by the way, if you have an apartment complex that has 16 or more units, you have to have an on-site resident manager. Some of the duties that that person may very well have, if you so select that that would be an area you would want to work in, you know, where you, you know, you, and you, by the way, your compensation, if, you, if that happened to be the one little area you want to focus on, your compensation might be in the form of you may have a free apartment to live there. Your compensation might be in the form of an additional part of the salary. Or you may have where, uh, especially if it's like a husband and wife team, you can basically um, 
Maybe the, the wife takes care of the rental applications, the bookkeeping, and the husband actually makes some additional money by going out and painting the apartments, maintaining the landscaping, fixing the sprinklers, things like that. But the manager's job, and I've seen this happen over and over again, and not only apartment houses, but, but like mini warehouse storage, just a lot of things. Your job is to keep the expenses down. In other words, make sure that you're getting the best bang for the buck. Make sure that whenever you're having any work done on the property, such as lawns mowed, landscaping, pool services, or whatever, that they're doing top quality work and they're doing a good job maintaining it. Make sure that you're working very hard to f always and consistently find new people to rent the vacant properties that you have or the vacant uh, You'll see, for example, if you go uh, like in a mini warehouse and you go in and you go to rent, especially like right now, there's a lot of times there's like, you know, you just can't walk in and say, you know, hey, I want to get something that's, you know, 20 feet wide and 20 feet long. You know, they're going to say, well, I'm sorry, we have a list. They're going to put a name on a list. So you're going to find out as a property manager, you're maintaining an active list of all those people that are looking for that space, that warehouse space, or looking for apartments. So your job is to make sure that your, your, your rental units are fully occupied, as close to 100% occupancy as you possibly can. So that means you're always running a list, always checking for tenants, always making sure that you're always marketing the place, if you will. The other thing that you're doing is you're actually taking rental applications. You're doing the rental screening. You're doing things, uh, for example, if you're, um, if you're uh, in an apartment complex, you're probably... Uh, doing all the background credit checks, calling, uh, uh, looking to see if anybody's had any kind of things like unlawful detainers, haven't paid things on time or whatever. So you're doing that. You're actually taking rental applications. You're looking at them. You're collecting deposits. You're doing things like walkthroughs, making sure that the, if it's an apartment complex or a single-family home or whatever it is that you're renting out, making sure that you have a walkthrough checklist that, that, that the people know what the condition of the property is prior to renting. You're, uh, during the time that they're there, you're making sure that if there's any problems and they call you, that you immediately get something, somebody there to fix it, correct whatever the problem is, and again, trying to do it and getting the best. So you may have a big, long list of, of uh, people, like plumbers, electricians, and drywall people, and everybody else that can do this work and do really good work and do it for a reasonable cost, okay? And then also, you're going to be involved when they get ready to move out. And there might be, depending upon where it's located, you may be involved in maybe uh, occasionally things like uh, uh, disagreements between tenants. You may have where people get in arguments and fights and you're having to get involved and call the police to get the thing taken care of. So a property manager has a lot of duties and responsibilities. Okay? So um, they kind of break this thing down and they call one of the managers they call as an outside manager. In other words, you don't res you don't um, live on the property, if you will, as the first category. Uh, the category concerns uh, concerns us most uh, in that professional outside manager as part of a general brokerage operation or as exclusive property management firms. Outside managers represent more than one owner in more than one property. They depict themselves as property managers taking place of the owners in order to meet the objectives of profitability. They require no specific license other than the real estate broker's license. Essentially, what we're talking about here is that there are, for example, you may find out that, you know, you go to work, you're working for the brokerage or it's your brokerage, you have an office. Maybe what you're do doing here is you're renting out things like single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, units that don't require a property manager. 
you may have not just one or two of these units, you may have several hundred. Who knows, you may have a thousand of these things. So you're pretty actively on a regular basis, you know, people are moving in, people are moving out. Uh, you're, you're calling to have uh, people come out and repair things, paint things. You're not, you know, you can't be in a position where you're the one out there painting. You're having to call people to get things done. Uh, you're collecting the rent, you're remitting the rent back to the owner, you're making sure that the property is kept in good shape, you know, you're monitoring when the people are getting ready to move out to make sure that there's no vacancy, but you're not living on the property. And you may have gotten your property, you may get a lot of your work from different organizations. You may, for example, uh, it may be an individual that's asking you to do this, it may be an investor that's asking you to do this, or you may even have things like property relocation companies. For example, I was talking to a lady the other day. She wants to sell a house that she has. Um, the, company that are, the company that her husband worked for is, make, is, is offering them an opportunity to move out of the community. So they're moving out. They want to sell their house. If their house doesn't sell within a, period of t a certain period of time, this relocation company will end up buying the house, if you will. Okay. Well, they may not be able to sell it right away, so they may turn around to a property management company and ask them to rent it out for a period of time. You know, they may sit there and say, well, if we haven't been able to sell it in 90 days, why don't we rent it out for a while and we'll put it back on the market next year and see what happens. So, again, they may call you for that kind of a purpose, okay? So that would be an outside manager, okay? We already talked about the resident manager, you know, that lives on the site, okay? And uh, that's on this particular page right here. They live on the site. They take care of the site. They manage, uh, you know, and this could be a simple job of some, you know, like, again, maybe it may be a small set of apartments and it can, or it could be a huge operation, you know, hundreds of apartments, okay? Um, okay, so we've done pretty much with that. Okay, some of the duties and responsibilities of property manager that I've already talked about. Um, you know, some of the things that you would have to be involved with. It says a list of some of the important duties and the functions of a, of a manager. No attempt is made to specify the type of manager who usually performs each duty. For example, as resident manager, you and an outside manager may have overlapping responsibilities in accounting for funds. Okay, so in other words, that apartment complex may be actually managed by you as an on-site manager, but you may also be reporting to a, uh, um, like a CBLS or, uh, or a large property management firm that has hired you to take care of that. So you may have what we're calling overdue, uh, overlapping responsibilities. But some of the things that you're going to be involved with is things like establishing a rent schedule that will bring the highest yield consistent with the sound economic principles. What that means is that you're probably, as part of your responsibilities, is you're going to be going out into the community. You're going to continue to track what other apartment complexes are renting for, what sorts of amenities they have, how much they're charging, what kinds of deposits that they're charging. You're going to be doing all of that so that you make sure that your particular property remains competitive within the market. Another thing you may do is uh, rent vacant units. Tenants need to know all the rules, so you'll be involved in screening and renting. You'll keep all the plumbing and the heating in good working order. You'll make sure that the roof is leak-free. Uh, you'll maintain all the floors, the stairways, so you may have either doing that yourself if you're a small operation or you may have uh, a janitor or some kind of person that comes in to take care of that or a service. Uh, you're going to keep the premises clean, free, and uh, you're going to qualify tenants, which we already talked about. 
And down below it gives you a little association here that you may be involved with. Uh, it's called the California Apartment Association. It has many local associations. And these associations, I think the one, um, uh, I'm, it's called the RHA here in Sacramento. And I think it's, it stands for Residential Housing Association. And uh, Bob, you want to come back to me for a minute? Uh, basically what they do is that um, if you're a landlord or you want to rent out a piece of property to somebody and you need things just to start out with, maybe you need forms, current legal forms. In other words, you maybe have, I've used these people on for years. So one of the things that I always want to do is make sure that uh, I'm always working with the most current uh, forms that involve all of the laws. In other words, they, they, they intake or they take into consideration all the laws to make sure I'm not violating anything. So I'll go to them and get things like rental applications. I will get uh, things such as uh, uh, lease forms, rental forms, things like that. That's one of the services they provide. They also have uh, a service that once I get that rental application from a tenant, I can take it to them and once I take it to them and it's a signed uh, copy of the application, they will actually, depending upon what I want done, they can actually go and do uh, uh, run through the various credit bureaus. You know, there's three credit bureaus that we can run through, and they also will look for other kinds of things, like if there's been any unlawful detainers, evictions, anything recorded or anything that's public information that, uh, that, the, uh, that, that we're able to get from various databases to see whether we're going to have tenants that will have problems. In other words, qualifying the tenant to get into the property. So I'll work with them, okay? And they're a local uh, organization here in Sacramento, and they're part of the California Apartment Association. Okay, and you can go to them. They have a lot of different uh, classes that they have. They have monthly meetings that you can go to. So there's a lot of different activities that you can work with. They give you a whole list of some of these other things that the apartment or managers do. Uh, they'll prepare and renew leases. They collect rents. Uh, they account for funds. They keep it in trust accounts. So when you collect things like deposits from tenants, um, you know, cleaning and damage deposits, you want to make sure that you're putting them in a trust account. You're going to do things like financial statements. You're going to order the services. You're going to advertise the properties for sale. You're going to inspect them. You're going to interview and train service people. You'll maintain necessary insurance. And insurance is not something that's just a fairly simple thing. I mean, you may find out that there might be fire insurance, uh, you know, different kinds of liability insurance to cover you to make sure that in case somebody gets hit or hurt in the pool, the tenants' courts or whatever. You may do things like deal with the taxes, pay the bills. Uh, you may be involved with asking the owners to do things like give you uh, provide estimates to them of what their current new costs are going to be in the new year for things like keeping the lawns up, making repairs, roof replacements, whatever it happens to be. So you're going to be pretty active. It's a pretty busy job that you're going to be involved with if you decide to pursue this as a as a as a career and a lot there's people that really like doing this they really find it interesting what's kind of nice about it is is that it's a little bit more stable it doesn't have as many ups and downs in the income stream because what happens is is that people just all of a sudden don't decide to sell their rental property overnight yes do they are there people that take single-family homes and turn them into rental properties every year? Yes. And are there people that take those rental properties and resell them again? Yes. But it's not a huge amount of people. So your income can tend to be fairly stable, but you're finding out that you're having to manage a lot of properties in order to make that happen.
Okay. Okay, I think uh, we pretty much, uh, termination, okay. A couple of things that they want to, maybe this in this venue is, is important. You know, when somebody rents the property from you, in other words, a tenant, they have to abide by certain rules and laws. Some of these current rules and laws are that they have to do. Okay, there's an expectation that the tenant's going to keep uh, the dwelling clean and sanitary. They're going to use all the fixtures and keep them clean. They're not going to damage any of the property. Uh, they're going to pay their rent on time. If they decide to move, they're going to give a 30-day notice that they're going to move. Uh, they're going to return the door and the mailbox keys. You know, uh, they're going to, and they're going to leave the place in really good uh, shape. The one thing that becomes important and I can't sort of overemphasize this, is that when you're in the rental business, what you want to do is after you have, because basically if you're talking about single family or you're talking about just residential rental property, normally the way the process works is that you have somebody that uh, you have a vacant, a unit that's becoming vacant uh, or a house that's becoming vacant you want to make sure that you're not going to have it sitting vacant for a long period of time. So what you're probably going to be doing, if possible, is it be asking the existing tenants if, you're, if it's okay with them. And by the way, you've already had this in the lease agreement. You're just kind of being nice and asking for permission, but you're going to find out if you can bring somebody in and show them the property. So you're going to have people that are going to be coming by, and you're going to do a good job at screening them. One of the things you don't want to do with existing tenants is to keep being, bringing people into their house while they're trying to move out. So you kind of want to Screen the tenants you're going to show the property to first. So you're going to screen and show them the property. Then this next step is you're going to take this rental application. You're going to run the rental application, make sure that the people qualify, if you will, for the property, and there's no nothing that's got, that would affect your willingness to rent it to them, such as you know they have a bad credit rating or they don't pay their rent on time or what have you. The next thing that you're going to do after that you decide to do that, you're going to sit down with them. You're going to have them fill out, or you're going to fill out the uh, rental. Uh, um, app, not the rental application, but the rental agreement or the lease agreement, depending upon whether you're renting for less than a year or more than a year. Remember, if, you're, if, you're, if it's more than a year, it's a lease. If it's less than a year, it's a rental agreement. You're going to do that. You're going to go through all that information with them. And then after they sign that, then the next thing you're going to do is, is after the existing tenants have moved out of the space, you're going to go in with the new tenant, and keep in mind that if you've done your job correctly, the place should look beautiful. It should have all the walls, if necessary, were repainted. The carpeting should be, have been repainted or replaced. Everything should be clean as a whistle. And you're going to walk through with the people and show them the apartment complex with a checklist. And you're going to go through every single solitary room, have them open every cabinet, and write down any defect or any problem you see with the property. Then tell them if they do find something like something you didn't know about, something that's loose or not working or something that's leaking, you're going to get it corrected. You're going to write every single thing down. That's critical because that document is going to be the same documents you're going to go back when they get ready to move out. So, for example, if you've gone through there and the house has had no holes in the wall, the carpet is clean, there's no broken windows, and now when you walk back through there again, you find out that there's holes in the wall, the carpet's got stains in it. Now you've got a basis. You say, well, when I rented it out to you, it looked like this. Now it looks like this. Now you have a basis for assessing them fees for you to go hire somebody to get the thing fixed. So you may say, I, there was no holes in the wall, so now what I'm going to do, remember I clean, collected that cleaning damage deposit? 
I'm going to have to get somebody in here. I'm going to have to give me an estimate on how to fix that hole in the wall, what the cost is going to be, and I'm going to have to take that out of your deposit when I return it back to you. And by the way, when you return the deposit, you have to do it within a certain specific period of time, and you also should be providing to whoever the tenant is a list of those costs, what the bills are, so that they know where that money actually went. In other words, you need to provide an accounting back to the tenant how that money was spent. So anyway, that's part of the uh, responsibilities. Now, the next thing here is that I want to clarify something. It says here that uh, this has just recently changed. It says uh, landlord-tenant termination laws, 30 and 60-day notice. Now, what it says here, which has changed, it says a 60-day termination notice must be given to the tenant who has been in possession of the rental unit for one year or more. A couple things I want to mention to you about this. We're talking here, first of all, about not a lease. We're talking about a rental agreement because, remember, a lease, when you sign a lease, you have a starting date and you have an ending date. So if you have negotiated with the tenant that they're going to move in on May 2nd, today, May 2nd of 2006, and they are going to move out one year from today, on May 2nd, 2007, then that's already predefined. There's no reason for you to give them a termination notice that, they, that, you know, that the lease is coming to the end because the agreement expires at the end of you know, one year from today. We're talking here, though, about where you have more or less like a month-to-month -month agreement. And the way the law was written is that it said that you had to give the tenant a 60-day notice. Okay? That law was something that they temporarily passed to protect consumers that were living in, living in a home. That, which should have happened to make that law permanent, they should have passed a law that made that so that it would change it from 30 to 60 days. That was not done. So what's happened as of the new year, as of this year, January 1st of 2006, the law went back to the way it was. So now it's not 60 days anymore, it's 30 days. So a landlord has to give the tenant a 30-day notice that they have to move. Okay? And why would you give a 30-day notice? It could be for a number of reasons. Um, uh, it can be, in most cases, because maybe the owner is deciding to sell the place. Maybe when they originally rented it out, maybe their idea was they were going to live, maybe they had a job change, they moved out of the community for a couple of years, and now they're moving back, and they need to move back into that house. It can be because maybe the person has been paying rent on time. It could be for a lot of different reasons, but the 30-day notice is where you just get, and you need to always do things. I always like to do it in several different ways. I think what you need to do is, is uh, make sure that you, um, actually what I like to do is actually give them a call on the phone, tell them what the situation is, uh, you know, that they're, that they're going to have to move out, actually physically go over there and make sure that I do it not only verbally and physically but also in writing. Give them a, a written document to say that they have 30 days notice that they're going to have to move, okay? Very, very important. If you're a tenant, on the other hand, make sure that you put everything in writing. Say, you know, you call the landlord, but at the same time make sure you follow it up with some kind of a document saying or a note or a letter or something that says, I just want to let you know that I plan on moving out on uh, June 1st, for example. Very, very important. Okay. Um, let me see if we go from here. The, um, okay, so, that, so let me move on from here. What we're going to do now is uh, I want to go over a little bit of this notice of termination form. 
Okay. Again, this happens to be a uh, California Association of Realtors form. It's a notice of termination of tenancy. Okay. And what this is is that, again, you, you're writing out whoever it happens to be, and you're calling them the tenant. Okay, let me see if I can zoom in on this just a little bit. Okay, so this might be somebody like Jim Smith, who's the tenant, and any other occupants in possession of the premises located at, and whatever the name of the street address is, like 123 Main Street. If there's an apartment unit, okay, that might be like unit number 5 or unit 123, whatever it is, the city, the state, the zip code, okay, that's the premises. Then what you're going to go down here is, is you're going to have check the box uh, that applies. Uh, applies, And here, if, if it does, you check this box. It says the tenant, if any in the premises, is terminated 60 days for the service of the notice or whatever. So you, you're putting a date down here. And so the only thing I want to get for you is to look down here is that you have a lot of different options that are set out. So, for example, you can either check this box or you can check this box, which is you have resided in the premises for less than one year. Your tenancy, if any, on the premises terminated 30 days from the service of the notice on that date. So this would be for a tenant that, under the old law, had lived there for, six, uh, for over a year. This would be if you had lived there less than a year. Then it goes, or all the following apply. Your, uh, your tenant, if any, in the premises... Uh, is terminated 30 days from service of this notice, and then you put the date. And then you go down here and you give list, you give reasons. You can say landlord has entered into a contract to sell the premises, so you're telling the people why. Why are you terminating it? Or the purchaser intends to um, reside on the premises uh, for, uh, for less than one year, or, uh, I'm sorry, and, and then they go down here. So these are all the different reasons why you're giving the notice, okay? When you get down to the bottom, you have this little statement. It says, if you fail to give up possession by the specified date, a legal action will be, uh, uh, will be filed seeking possession and damages that could result in a judgment awarded against you, and then you're the landlord. You sign the address, the phone number, whatever it happens to be. That's the notice to terminate the tenancy. Okay? Again, in writing. Very, very important. Okay? Um, Let's go over the next thing that I'm going to show you here, and I'll just point out some things, is what you call your property management agreement. This, to me, is your employment agreement with the owner of the property, okay, with the owner of the property. In other words, this is where they are hiring you to manage their property and in writing you're specifying what your duties and what your responsibility is going to be in writing. I'm going to kind of point out a couple things on here, not kind of beat it to the death, but anyway, up on top again, uh, it's California Real Estate Association, uh, California Association of Realtors Form. It's a property management agreement. This right here is where you put the name of the owner. So if it happens to be like Patrick J. Hogarty, who's the owner, and uh, this down here, who is the broker, okay? Remember, anytime you're an agent, you're always acting, your, your responsibility is actually to the broker. So this could be like Pat Hogarty, and this could be ABC Broker. Agree as follows, and then you know what the property is known as, and this would be the address of the property, okay? 
And then this is the time that you're going to start your agreement. When your agreement starts, this is going to be when your agreement ends, and it's going to end on that day at 11.59 p.m. that evening, okay? And uh, down right here is where you have the broker acceptance. And then this is giving you the authorities and the power. In other words, this is what's giving you the ability to go ahead and do these functions. This is where the owner is being made aware that you're going to do certain kinds of activities. There's certain expectations you're going to have. Like, for example, uh, one of the first things is, is on here is, is that the, uh, you're going to be agreeing that you're going to ha advertise the property. So, for example, if, if I'm the owner and I, I look in all the newspapers and I say, listen, I, you, know, you, you haven't rented it out yet and I haven't seen a sign on the property and I haven't seen a rental ad, you know, this is the agreement where I go back and say to them, listen, you promised you were going to do this and you're not doing it. Okay? So it's that kind of a thing. On the other hand, it's giving the, owner, it's giving the agent the permission, the authority as an agent to do these things for the owner. So some of the things that you're giving this person or you're getting the, uh, the authority to do is advertising. So you can do things. This is giving you the authority to, to display a sign on the property that it's for rent. Um, this talks about the rental and leasing, you know, whether it's going to be month to month or a year. This talks about the termination. This talks here about the repair and property maintenance. And what you're really doing here, and I wish I could see this a little bit better, but what you're really doing here is you're giving the agent authority to get work done on the property without asking every single time for your permission, but you are limiting on how much this person can spend. So it says here, make, make cause or to be made and or supervise repairs, improvements, alterations, and decorations to the property, property purchase and pay bills for services and supplies. Brokers shall obtain prior approval of the owner for all expenditures over and then that's where you put the amount of money so if you want the agent to call you up and get permission if you're going to spend more than five hundred dollars and that's what you put in there okay and the idea behind this is that you need to have this kind of a clause because if it's something simple like maybe the sink is leaking and you need to get a plumber out there uh, or you need to have some kind of work done on the property and you're not around, you don't want to have that thing get worse and worse while they're tanking and looking for you. On the other hand, you don't want to have where the agent is deciding on their own to say, you know what, I had a roof guy out here to fix the roof and he turned around and said, you know what, it, it looks like it would be a good idea to replace the roof, so I went and spent $20,000 and had the roof replaced. And you go, no, I, you want to limit their, what they can do. That's the whole idea. Of it. You want to give them permission but limit what they can do with it. This will talk about things like uh, reports, notices and signs, contracts and services, uh, expense payments, security deposits, what to do with those, trust funds, uh, reserve, okay, reserves, maintain a reserve in the broker's account for whatever the amount of money is so that in the event that you need the money, it's available. You don't want to turn around and say, the only amount of money I have to work with is, is the monthly rent. I have absolutely nothing on hand in case I need to expend some money. You want to have that. This is disbursements. It says uh, disperse owner's funds held in the broker's account to the following, you know, compensation to the broker, okay, because the broker needs to get paid every month for the work that they do. Uh, all other operating expenses, meaning those are expenses that uh, if you, you're the owner and you decide you're going to pay the water and the sewer or the landscaping or whatever, uh, reserves and balance to the owner, okay? So that's what this part of the contract deals with.
And of course, like most other contracts, they have that's what the agent's going to do. This is what the owner is responsible for. Okay? So in other words, and this is a good checklist if for whatever reason, when you're getting ready to rent out the property to make sure that you have everything. So it's saying the owner shall do this, provide all documentation, records, disclosures as required by the law, required by the broker to manage the property immediately and notify the broker um, if any kind of changes happen. Uh, I would say things that you need to make sure the broker and the agent are aware of is, is if there's any, for example, any, any um, and it may also be buried in here, but for example, if there's any homeowners association you know, that has a limitation on what tenants kind of, uh, like for example, um, again going back to a place where my son lived, uh, which was Woodside, which is over here on Howe Avenue, if you, have a, if you have a pickup truck, I don't care if it's brand new and you spent $50,000 for it, you can't park it on the ground. You have to park it off, off the, off the uh, property. So if somebody's looking to rent, you need to make sure they're aware of all of these rules and regulations so that they're not violating them. Like if people are going to go down, they need to know what the pool hours are, when they can use the tennis courts. They need to know all that stuff. And if any of that changes, which usually it's the association that will provide that information to you, you need to let the uh, landlord know. This is talking about indemnify the broker. Okay. Maintain the property in the condition. In other words, you as the owner need to make sure that you always meet those codes, which means that it has to have like things like hot and cold running water, no windows missing, all those things that we talk about in other classes. You need to make sure that the house is totally habitable. Okay, if there's something wrong, a leaky pipe, it needs to be fixed. Okay, don't expect the agent to rent it out if it's not in good condition. Um, uh, pay all the interest on the tenant's uh, security deposit if required by law. So you need to find out of where you live if there's an ordinance that requires that an interest rate, interest be paid on the tenant's deposit. If they deposit $1,000, there's certain places where you're required to pay an, uh, an um, interest on that money. There's certain places you're not. You need to make sure that you're doing that if, if it's required. Okay, and uh, so anyway, this is all involving what the owner's going to do. Down here we have a... Uh, uh, lead-based paint disclosure, so if your property has lead-based paint, you need to specify that down here and let the people know. You don't want those little kids going out there and eating the chips off the ground <laughs> and finding out that it's making them sick. Then finally, this down here is talking about the compensation. The owner agrees to pay the broker uh, fees and amounts uh, initiated below. So you have a management fee, a fee that you're going to pay for renting and leasing it out. If there's going to be a fee, how much are you going to get paid if you're going to evict somebody? Uh, preparing uh, property for rental or lease. In other words, if you have to go over there during the day and spend time getting it ready to show or getting it ready to rent, you, you, know, you can only do so many of those before you're not making any money, so you need to charge a fee for that. Uh, managing the property um, during extended periods of vacancy. So if the property is set there for vacant for a long period of time, you may have to go by even so if somebody's if nobody's living there, you have to go by and make sure that, hey, the grass is being cut, the pool's not overflowing, no, there's no leaks inside the house, you know, there was a storm recently, is there, did the roof leak or anything? You need to go by. So that's very important. And I've seen where people haven't done that. In fact, the house I uh, bought one time, uh, this company, this relocation company, had hired this uh, uh, real estate firm to manage the property. And when I initially looked at the property to purchase, and then I looked at it once and I looked at it maybe several months later, when I first looked at it, it was okay, it was during the dry season. 
Then they had the rainy season. And I remember when we walked in to take a look at it, again, there was a leak in the roof. And it had gotten, went down the wall, wet all the insulation, wet the floor, did all kinds of damage. Well, the, bro, the agent that was managing that would have been able to catch that if they had been in that house taking a look at that on a regular basis. They weren't. It was sitting there vacant. Okay, very, very important. It cost, the, it cost the owner quite a bit of money to get all that fixed. Okay, so any other kinds of expenses, this is what the compensation is. Okay, this is all dealing with compensation, money. Okay, how are you going to pay it? And then finally down here is this is just your last thing, which is your agency relationship with them. Um, again, at, like most contracts near the end, they're talking about what happens if you and the agent have a disagreement. This is the same with a listing agreement as it is with the purchase offer. You have mediation. You have arbitration. And what you're trying to do is tell how, what's going to happen if the two of us have a disagreement on this contract. How are we going to solve our problems? You know, and again, mediation means that we're bringing in, if you will, the way I look at it, somebody that's like a counselor. Somebody that's kind of trying to say, hey, everybody, let's kind of work together and see if we can fix this deal. They're not making any kind of a decision. They're just trying to, it's kind of like a marriage counselor, if you will, the way I kind of look at it. It's trying to, trying to get the two parties to work together. That's mediation. Arbitration is where you just select somebody, and then they listen to both sides of the case, and then they finally say, you're right, and pay them. <laughs> that's basically it. But you're trying to do these things to resolve these issues so that if there is a disagreement, then there's some way to rectify whatever the problem is. You're trying very, very hard to not to have to go to court, if possible. And I think that first starts with not going to court of, by having a really, really nice, clean-cut uh, uh, document that everybody understands, everybody knows what the, what the policies and the procedures are, and you communicate. If you're able to do that and the agent does their job and, of making sure that it's occupied all the time and it's well-maintained, and the owner turns around and does their part by making sure that if anything goes wrong, it's fixed as quickly as possible, then I think you're going to have a good relationship. If either party doesn't do that, I think you're going to have a tough time. So we're going to kind of leave off here on this particular page. Uh, we'll be picking up the next time talking about uh, the application for rent, the screening process that one goes through, uh, some of this stuff might be something that you've all been through before. Some of it might be brand new. Again, we're looking at it more from the area of you as the agent or you as the landlord managing this kind of stuff, um, not you as the tenant, if you will. So, uh, and also keeping in mind the fact that this is an area where you may want to focus your, uh, uh, your real estate activity. Or in some cases, maybe you want to sell and you want to <clears throat> also keep in mind that this might be another avenue of generating some income. So with that, we'll see you back here again the next time for show number 28. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. And we have this.